Good morning, church family. What a blessing it is to be found in the house of the Lord, to be able to worship God in the beauty of his holiness. Come on, as people are still walking in, let's stand all over the room and prepare to sing. What a blessing it is to see all of your beautiful faces. If you don't mind this morning, can you just tell good morning to somebody who you didn't come here with? Can you make eye contact with somebody who you didn't ride here with and just tell them good morning. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I'm just happy. I'm full of the joy of the Lord this morning because he's been so good to me, even, even just this week. Has he been good to you this week? Has he been good to you just this week? Or maybe you can just say today he woke you up this morning, you have the activity of your limbs. There's somebody who woke up in the hospital this morning, but you get to be here in the house of prayer. Isn't it a blessing to be able to worship God? Isn't it a privilege to worship our God? Hallelujah. Let's sing together. These are the days of Elijah. Salvation, come. 
lift up this chant. The chant says there's no God like Jehovah. Do we believe that today? There's no God like Jehovah. Let's go for it, y'all. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no Come on, God say it, like say that Jehovah. with us. There's no God like Jehovah. 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 says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, don't know, I just want to ask a question. Can I see by show of hands, how many of you believe that this morning? That there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of our God. Well, we're going to sing about that this morning. I want you to learn this chant. It says, your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up. It never runs out on me, your love. That's the entire thing. Let's try it. Your love. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out Let's lift it up toward heaven. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. 
that's higher than the mountains that I face, and it's stronger than the power of the grave, and it's constant in the trial and the change. This one.
Father, we worship you this morning, and we thank you that we can sing these choruses to you. Just declaring to you, God, our, our appreciation, our gratitude, our thanks, that your love never fails. It, it never runs out on us. God, we thank you for your faithful love. We pray, Lord, that this morning would be all about worshiping you and glorifying you. Father, we know that you desire worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. And so, Lord, by your spirit, would you make us those kind of worshipers today? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. My name is Chad Gilbert, and I have the great joy of serving as the senior pastor here at First Baptist New Orleans. And on behalf of our entire church, we want to say welcome to each and every one of you. If you're a guest this morning, thank you for joining us this morning. I'm very thankful for some friends that are right here joining me, longtime friend Justin Langford and his family and Melinda, um, Eddie and Smitty Gaden, who have been members here at First Baptist before they moved to the North Shore years ago, back in 05, I think, or something like that. Or no, when Melinda was was 05. That's what it was. So anyway, so longtime members here. Uh, from years ago. And so anyway, so if you're a guest, I want to encourage you. We would love to get to know you, to be able to to serve you, pray for you, share more information about the church. And so there's a way that right from your seat right now using your cell phone that you can communicate with us. And that's by texting the word new to the phone number that you see on the screen. 504-290-0741. If you'll text that, that begins a conversation um, that goes on uh, this week with prayer, with encouragement, um, but also with helpful information to help you learn more about First Baptist and what God is doing here. Um, One of the things that God is doing here this week is continuing what we do every week, which is part of our children's ministry. Um, We are so grateful for the Lord, for all of those generations that came before us that started this thing called Vacation Bible School. Um, It's been kind of the the heartbeat of of what Southern Baptists do each and every summer as an intentional way of reaching families and children with the gospel. Um, This week is not about coercing children into saying words that really they don't understand, but it is about communicating words, the word, to children in a way that they can understand. Um, We want them to grasp God's love. We want them to understand the goodness of God's gospel. And we want them, by His grace, to respond in repentance and faith. And so that's an exciting thing, but it's a spiritual battle. Um, This is not something that we can do in our flesh. I can't save anyone. None of our volunteers this week can save anyone. Face God, as amazing as she is, can't save anyone's soul. But they have labored to prepare the ground for this week to be a time that children will receive the gospel. I want to share a passage from the passages that we're going to be looking at this morning from, from Matthew chapter 13. Jesus told them many things in parables saying, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still, other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. My hope this week is that the seeds of the gospel will fall on good soil and that the harvest will not just be our children coming to faith, but our children coming to faith and then becoming soul winners in their schools, in their families, in their communities for the rest of their lives so that that fourth soil that's spoken of in this passage, the one that produced a hundred times which was sown, that that would be the legacy of this week, that children will come to faith 
and then go on to lead others to Christ in faith. So, like I said, this is a spiritual battle. So, we do our battle in prayer. And so I want to invite you, if you're able to kneel with me, just right where you are, to kneel before the Lord in a humble position of just acknowledging our neediness before the Lord and our desperation for Him to pour out His Spirit this week during Vacation Bible School. Lord, we worship you this morning. And on our knees, Lord, we are admitting that the battle belongs to you. That's what your word says. Your word communicates that our hearts on our own are hard. We're going to read that this morning in your word. Calloused, that our eyes are blind, our ears can't hear. But God, this week, if you will pour out your spirit, then children, and I pray whole families, will see the goodness of your grace. That they will see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. That they will see they need forgiveness of sins. That that is the deepest need of every human being. And that the only way to have forgiveness of sin is to be forgiven by you, the judge. So Lord, this week, may the gospel be clear that Jesus Christ was given once for all so that those who hear might repent, admitting their sin, and then turning to Jesus in trust and in faith and becoming a new creation in Christ that then becomes a soul winner, one who makes disciples, one who produces a hundred times what was sown. So Lord, that's our prayer this week. God, I pray over the leadership. Thank you so much, God, for Faith Scott and her amazing team of volunteers, both staff and lay leaders, who have worked so diligently for months for this week to be a success. Thank you for every volunteer who's making sacrifices to be here throughout the week to pour their lives into children. God, we need that sort of intergenerational ministry where senior adults and, and middle-aged adults and young adults are pouring their lives into the next generation. So, Lord, bless the relationships that happen this week. And, Father, we pray for every child that your word will find a home in their hearts this week, that their hearts would be opened by your spirit to receive your word as that good soil that produces fruit. Lord, we admit we can do nothing, but there is no, nothing impossible for you. So, Lord, we ask for you to do the impossible this week and to do more than we could even think or imagine to ask in this moment and to do it all for your glory in New Orleans and all nations. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go forward this week, I encourage you, set some reminders on your phone. Set an alarm that each week, each day this week, between the hours of about 9 and 1230, to be reminding yourself to pray for our Vacation Bible School effort this week. And we look forward to hearing what God does next week. As we share the gospel with our children this week, we lift up one confession as a church here at First Baptist. We believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord. We believe in the Holy Spirit, in his baptism into new life, in judgment, and final resurrection. 
Would you stand with us and make that confession? This I believe, as we sing out, we believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again for i believe in the name of jesus our judge and our defender suffered and crucified Forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious light. Forever seated high. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again for I believe in the name of
today. In Jesus. We love you today, Lord. Magnify you, glorify you. You alone are deserving of the praise. We lift our hearts to you today, for you are our heart fixer. We lift our minds to you today, for you are a mind regulator. Renew us, God. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you, Jesus Christ. We thank you for eternal life. We lift up a salvific praise today. Hosanna. Save us, God. What else is there to live for in this life other than for you? We thank you today. God, I pray that the word that's going to be given from your pulpit today will bless the hearts of your people, that we won't just be hearers, but that we'll be doers of your word. We pray that the word that's going forth through the music as well will impress so strongly upon the hearts of your people that if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you and the pardon of their sin, that they will be convicted and persuaded to serve you for the rest of their days. We thank you for life eternal. We thank you today for salvation. We thank you today for your gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anybody ever bought anything off of Amazon? Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay. Um, it, anytime, you know, I'm buying something on Amazon, I look oftentimes to see are there free returns, especially if it's going to be one of these items that I'm like, I think I might want to have the option to return this item. I will look to see eligible for free returns. And, and they make it really easy. You can just go in there and you click, you know, and it prints the thing. But there's a, there's a deadline by which you have to mail it or it like voids that that, that specific ticket and that return period for that item or whatever. So probably unlike anybody else in this room, I often will procrastinate on like, you know, that package will sit there nice and neat on the counter for sometimes days or weeks at a time. And it's, it's waiting. I'm like, yeah, I need to go to the post office. I got to drop that by the UPS store. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And then all of a sudden it will dawn on me the day of, it's like there's this internal registry, you know, that's up there. And it's like the alert goes off, like today's the day. And of course I remember after I've already left. And so it's like, oh, I got to go do that. So one of those days happened. I had purchased something, wasn't the item I needed, needed to return it, had waited too long. 
and now was, it was the day. And I had afternoon commitments that would take me out of the game. So I knew I had to get it done that morning. So I made the adjustment, ran to the house, grabbed the package, went to go before a lunch meeting. And I get to the doors of the, the, the post office to drop this thing off. To, you know this feeling. I mean, you've been there probably in your life where you pull on a locked door. I don't know what it is or what it does to the soul to pull on a locked door, but it does something deep within me um, to like walk to a door that you, you fully anticipate to be open and you pull on it and it's not open. And you're just like, you have got to be kidding me. And so I look and sure enough, the post office, this is the one in, uh, in Lakeview. Okay. So, you know, I don't want to offend anybody here, but they take lunch from 11.30 to 12.30. Who takes lunch from 11.30 to 12.30? Because, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, if they're close to the lunch hour, noon, noon to one. And so I get there at like 11.40 and boom, 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 boom. You, you know, and it's like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm so close. I've got the package. And now I'm, I'm having to like, where's another post office? Are they going to be on the same lunch schedule? What is up with this? I didn't know the post office took lunch. You know, I thought that it was just open during the day. And so I'm just like, ah, oh, all these things happening inside of me because I'm so close. But yeah, I was so far. I still had to get this. I had to get to a meeting. And I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to, to get this done in the right time. I was so close, but yet so far. And with that idea in mind, I want us to look at a, at a passage today of a group of people that felt so close. They had that pull on the locked door indignation of we are so close to being in the kingdom. And they're pulling on this door and it's locked and they're frustrated because there's this guy named Jesus who says, I know the way in. I know the way in, and, and there's only one way in, and it is not the locked door that you're pulling on. But they are convinced the locked door is the route. And so there is that indignation in them that is rising up with more and more anger toward Jesus to the point that they want to kill him, and more and more indignation for what really is the kingdom of God and what really is the ethic of the kingdom of God and the ways of the kingdom of God and really what is God, God with them. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to be looking at chapters 11 through 13. Unlike last week, we won't read every word of 11 through 13. But this week, we're going to be looking at some select passages that I think that demonstrate what is really at the heart of these chapters because a, a central character or group that is prominent in these chapters are the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are these guys that are pulling hard on the door to the kingdom, convinced that they know the way in, and more than that, convinced that they are the doorkeepers. That they're the ones that get to determine who comes in the kingdom and how you enter the kingdom and how you stay in the kingdom and all of these things. But yet... What Jesus is confronting them with is you are at a locked door, my friend, and you are pulling in, in a senseless manner on a door that will not open to you. And so in chapter 13, we get this parable of Jesus, a description of what the kingdom of God is like and how it's going to be and how it is that someone can be so close 
But yet so far, and how there's this mingling of the two all around one another. And so turning to chapter 13, verse 24, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We stand in reverence of the Lord as if he were walking in the room himself and speaking to us. And then we'll sit with him in his word, listening continually to what he says from us from his word. But beginning in verse 24, we read this. He, Jesus, presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed, who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go pull them up? The servants asked him. No, he said. When you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow until together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, then, but collect the wheat in my barn. And then hop down with me to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he replied, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will, be, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. We pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word today. And I pray that these words of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, will be clear, made clear to us by your Holy Spirit. So, Father, speak to your word today so that there would be none in this room today who would be so close to entering the kingdom of God, but yet remain so far from the heart of the Father. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So close, but so far. The parable that Jesus communicates to his disciples is that there is going to be a growth. There is going to be a presence of two types in this world, and they are going to grow up right by one another. Now, if we apply his word, that means that even sometimes within the context of the church, there are going to be, even within a local body, those that are growing up as a weed and those that are growing up as a wheat. God's Word deals with what would be the weeds within the congregation through what's called church discipline. And that we're supposed to deal with those sorts of things in a loving, biblically prescribed way that produces a return to the Lord. But the reality remains this, that so much was written about what to do about those that would be what would be considered false converts or, or those that had not been converted but yet were professing to be Christians— because that would be a problem, and that would be something that would persist into the future, even into this day. And so the, the parable applies certainly globally to all the, the people of the world, but then as we think about specifically even within the body, that there are weeds and wheat growing up together, 
and they will keep growing up together and there will still be the presence and both will be growing and growing until the day of the harvest. I mean, how sad is it that a weed could grow so close to wheat that they could grow up together. They're experiencing the same sun, the same rain, the same fertile soil, possibly the same care from a farmer so that the farmer is showing care in such a way that it produces growth for the wheat, but at the same time is producing growth for the weed. I mean, how sad is it to be so close to wheat, but so far from being wheat? Now, how sad is it that those two things can coexist together and grow and benefit in all of the same ways? And yet, that is the reality that Jesus makes clear. And so today, I want us to look at how he is warning a people, a people who would identify as close to the Lord, as those who aren't far but who are near, telling them, you are, you're so close, but you are so far you are so far from what the kingdom of God really is all about. And so I want us to look at it in three parts as we turn back to chapter 11. I want us first to see this, that Matthew is communicating and Jesus is communicating that, that the people, the audience then were so close to the kindness of the Lord, but so far from the repentance that it's meant to produce. They were so close to the kindness of the Lord, but they were so far, their hearts were so far from the repentance that it was meant to produce. You see, Romans 2.4 says this, don't you know that the kindness of the Lord is meant to lead you to repentance? That this, this common grace, this, this, the sun shining on the righteous and the wicked, that this reality is meant to lead all to repentance, turning from sin and turning in faith to God. But look at the way that Jesus says it in chapter 11. He begins at verse 16 this way. To what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is validated by our deeds. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns that were where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on that day, on the day of judgment, than for you. What is he communicating? What is this little saying of, we played a flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a lament and you didn't mourn. Jesus is saying, you're not doing what is appropriate for the times. When you hear music, when you go down to the French Quarter and maybe you hear live music, it's meant to elicit a response. A certain movement 
and your knees and your hips. That's what the music is for. It's not meant for you to stand there with arms crossed and stare with a, with a, with a, with a, with a, a fallen face. When you go to a funeral and it's a time of mourning, it's not a time to then say, we're happy, we're happy, we're happy. Because it's a time of mourning and there's a time for sorrow. You see, Jesus is saying, I have come and I have poured out kindness. Because notice what he says, in these places where most of his miracles were done. Now, what were those miracles? That's what we've already seen in the Gospel of Matthew. Healings of various kinds. Casting out demons. Feeding people who were hungry. People that were paralyzed, walking people that had skin diseases of various kinds healed, people that had bleeding issues finally healed. All of these miracles were done. And yet, what does he say? You did not repent. Let's fast forward to today. The truth remains. The kindness of the Lord is meant to lead you to repentance. I don't know where each of you are in this room, but I do know this. The Lord is kind and compassionate, abounding in love. I know that for each one of you in ways that you do not see and do not fully recognize, the Lord is pouring out his kindness on you. And it has an intended response, repentance and faith. You say, well, Chad, I did that when I was a kid. I, I, I prayed and asked Jesus to save me from my sin, and, and, I, and I'm good. I mean, so yeah, I hear you, and I hope that if there's anybody in this room right now that hasn't done that, that they'll do it. Maybe even children will this week. And I appreciate that sentiment. But if we're not carol, careful, it's the very sentiment that the Pharisees had. As Jesus was speaking to the people and telling them about entering the kingdom of God, they're like, you know, this is good. They do need to come in where we are. But the further Jesus went in his teaching, the more he confronted where the Pharisees thought they were, communicating to them that they were not with him. I'm concerned in my own life. And if you share my concern, then, then come on in. But I'm not going to look around in this room and say, I'm concerned about you and that you're not where you need to be. Instead, I'm concerned I'm not where I need to be. That I'm turning a blind eye to the kindness of God in my life and in subtle ways thinking I earned it. In, in subtle ways coming to establish this entitlement of a certain level of kindness that I expect from God, that when things don't go my way, when I walk up to locked doors of post offices, there's an indignation in me. That, that there's this certain level of what I expect life to just cruise along at that I consider just to be expected. A certain level of God's kindness that we all should get. Not recognizing that every good and perfect gift is from above and not stopping to give thanks. You see, this is a concerning thing. The outside world who say there's not a God, you just really need to do a lot more 
emotional development and self-development and self-awareness and all these things, each one of them, because I kind of follow these things. I have a sociology background, enjoy social psychology, and just enjoy the social sciences. And so I'm always interested by these things. And one of the things that I've noted in these arenas and from different authors and podcasts and writers and things like that is the need to keep a gratitude journal. I mean, they say it over and over and over again, that one of the most important things that any high-performing professional can do is keep a gratitude journal, where every day they write down things that they're grateful for. Well, they weren't the ones that came up with that. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. God's word has been telling us to give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever for thousands and thousands of years because God, your creator, knows that his kindness to you is supposed to draw you into worship of thanking him. And as you come into his presence to thank him, that positions you in a place for him to bring about awareness in your life and in your heart and in your soul of sin so that you might repent of it and then turn in faith to Jesus in that area. And so that very pathway that the secular world is saying, you need to travel for mental health. God has been saying from the very beginning, you need to travel for spiritual health. You need to travel for soul care. You need to travel right to me, thanking me, because it is on those grounds of giving thanks to the Lord that we position ourselves to then experience conviction by His Spirit, to turn away and repent of sin and walk in faith. And that pertains to every person in this room who says that Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't be so close but so far from the type of heart that Jesus desires to see by being so close to the kindness of God, but so far from the gratitude that it is meant to elicit that then puts you in the position to repent and have faith. Second, what we see as we move through this passage is that Jesus is saying to them, Matthew is capturing that they were so close to the Lord of the Sabbath but so far from the rest that he alone can give. Look with me at the end of chapter 11 and verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal Him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He's speaking of rest He's telling them, come to me and I will give you rest. But what the Pharisees are saying, no, there is a 24-hour period for rest. There is a day to rest. And there are things you can do and you can't do to really get the most out of that day of rest, that Sabbath. But notice what Jesus then says and does. At that time, chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. 
His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some heads of grain. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, Haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him or for those with him to eat, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law that on Sabbath days, the priest in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 9, moving on from there, he entered their synagogue. And there he saw a man who had a shriveled hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He replied to them, who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? A person is worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was restored as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. The Pharisees so loved what they were sure was bringing rest and honoring the Lord, this Sabbath keeping that they had instead heaped tremendous burdens on the people that then they were carrying, as it were, with a yoke. Picture a, a, a carved piece of wood that would go over your shoulders and maybe buckets on either side in order to help distribute a load that you would carry. That large piece of wood would be the yoke, and it would be on your shoulders. Imagine mules in a field with the yoke on them, pulling behind them a plow. But for people, it would be a way of helping distribute a load to help get it where it needed to go. But there's only so much you could put in the buckets before that, that plow, I mean, before that yoke became unbearable. I mean, just driving into you, wearing you down, bending you and bending you until you just can barely stand under the load. And what was intended to be a time of rest had become an unbearable load to the people of God because the Pharisees had just kept pouring law after law and rule after rule into the buckets until they just couldn't even stand under the weight anymore. And probably, if truth be told, dreaded the Sabbath because of what it meant and how they knew that they were going to violate it, and how there was no way to do it right, and all of these things. And it just heaped shame and guilt on them to where they, they started the week every week after a day of defeat, this final day of defeat. And that's how the Pharisees liked it. They loved to heap these burdens on the people that they themselves could not carry. That's exactly what Jesus says. But you know, fast forward to today. And I want you to think for just a second about what it is. You see, there's nobody in here that's debating right now of all the things that we disagree on in these days of lots of opinions and things like that. I haven't seen or been told, I'm not on Facebook anymore, uh, but I haven't been told there's a lot of Facebook debates on whether it's okay to help people with their sheep 
pull them out of holes on Sabbath days, on, on, you know, on Sunday or the, the Jewish Sabbath. I haven't seen those debates. I haven't seen any or heard of anybody in our congregation debating, you know, whether it's okay, you know, to, to work a little bit on Sunday, you know, maybe from the home, you know, during this COVID season or not, you know, whether that's breaking the Sabbath. That's not really our debate but one thing that I do know that we're all after and our culture is constantly calling us toward is rest, renewal. It's called living for the weekend. And what our culture says is, man, you got to make the weekend count. You, you, the weekend has got to be amazing. You've got to do things that really fill you up, make you whole, bring life. And so the culture all around us keeps heaping on us what it means to be renewed and to be restored and to have refreshment with hunting or fishing or boating or sports, travel, eating out, all of these things that promise that if you'll just grind it out during the week, then you get to the weekend. And the weekend is this paradise that awaits you, that if you'll just get to it and give yourself to it and give all of your money and all of your time and all of your pursuit, then you'll be filled. But yet I know many people that start their week, just like people did 2000s of years ago, feeling pretty low. And it's not just because they hate their job. I believe in part, it's because we are all buying into a lie that there is a condition or there is a boat, or there is a vacation. I mean, any parents in the room, like that vacations renew you? When you have young children, someone lied to us. <laughs> you come back exhausted. Like, I need a vacation from the vacation. And our culture is telling us that there is rest that is promised. If you will keep these rules and if you will do these things and, and, and spend your money in this way and buy that RV and then buy the vehicle to pull the RV and then buy the jet skis to pull behind the RV and, and all of the things it's just telling you over and over and over again, that's what rest is. That's what renewal is. That's what will give you peace. And to us in our day, who aren't debating the strict rules of the Sabbath, but are combating lies about what it means to be renewed and to have wholeness and to have peace and to truly have rest. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. What if renewal is not found in a place, but in a person? What if what you are giving everything to experience on the weekend is only found in worship to this one who says, come to me? I've been there. I know exactly what it is to experience that pit of emptiness when you finally got the thing. Whatever it was, the newest gadget, you're, you're at the location that was going to just be amazing, the mountains, the beach, whatever it was. And still then to feel like, man, this is supposed to be renewing me more than it is, but I cannot tell anybody that it's not. I don't want to look like a fool, but I'm trying to find the rest in the location. I'm trying to find the rest and the renewal in the possession 
but it's only found in the person. So Chad, are you saying vacations are bad? No, but they can't give you what Jesus alone can give you. Chad, are you saying, you know, I can't buy the RV? No, but it cannot give you that security and that renewal that you need to be able to walk forward in this life in faith. Only Jesus can. You see, there is not a thing in this world that is going to give you what only Jesus offers in these words, come to me. Sound familiar? Sounds like follow me. And that's exactly what he's saying. But now he's speaking to his disciples, to those who are following him, who are under the burden and they're seeing the lies that the Pharisees have been feeding them. I hope you're seeing the lies that our culture is feeding us of what really will get you renewed, what really will restore your soul. And hear these words, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Anybody? Weary and burdened? And Jesus says, I will give you rest. I, I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. It's not that there's not a yoke. It's that the burden is light. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus for your rest. I mean, how sad for we in this room, most of whom would say Jesus is Lord, to then experience a restlessness in our souls for most of our days. Spending thousands and thousands of dollars and thousands of hours and all of these things to try to find rest for our souls while Jesus is saying, it is only found in me. So, catching you here midsummer, maybe you've got a vacation in queue. I encourage you at the beginning of it, before you even leave the driveway. Maybe this weekend you've got something planned. Maybe before you even go out to that social event that promises to fill you up, that you would acknowledge before Jesus, before that trip, before that event, before that thing that usually fills you up to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I come to you. Jesus, I come to you to be my rest. I come to you. Just acknowledge that. Orient yourself back to the Savior so that you will not proceed into those waters of rest and renewal as an idolater, worshiping the thing that you think is going to give you the rest but can't, but instead orienting yourself to the Savior who alone can. Because finally what we see is that they were so close. They were so close. We are so close to something greater but so far from wanting anything greater than we already knew. You see, the way I would say it in past tense is, so they were so close to something greater, but so far from wanting anything greater than they already had. But if I did it in present tense, then I'd say, then what we already know. Here's the way that Jesus says it, beginning in chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the words of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. And earlier, when speaking about the temple, he said, something greater than the temple is here. And then in verse 53 of chapter 13, when Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where did he get all these things? And they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. You see, they had the one who is greater. Hebrews picks up on this idea of a one who is greater, one who's greater than Moses, one who's greater than the law, one who's greater than the temple one who's greater than any sacrifice that was ever given. And here he's saying this, one who is greater than Jonah, this prophet who went to Nineveh, who went outside of Israel, who went outside of, of Judea, who, who went way outside the bounds of where you would think a prophet of God would go and then proclaimed repentance, and they repented. And one who you would not expect to travel long distances to come to Israel to hear the wisdom of King Solomon, but who came and savored every word he had to say. Not enamored with his gold, but enamored with his wisdom. And one wiser, one greater than Solomon is here. And yet, as this greater one came in to those closest to him, Think about that. Who would the equivalent of that be in our day? Well, that would be us. That would be the ones you would think would know Jesus and his greatness the most are often the ones who resist him the most. The ones where it says, and he was not able to do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Let that be a warning to us. Let that be a warning to not only this church gathered, but every church gathered, those who have been walking with Jesus and who, who know him, who say he is Lord, but yet who fall into these predictable patterns. And if we're not careful, come up with our own set of laws and rules and rituals and things that we do and things that we know, theology that we can affirm. And then if we're not careful, just say, we know there's all to know. We, we know all that there is to know about Jesus. We've experienced all that there is to experience with Jesus. We've got Jesus covered. 
and one who is greater is coming to you again today and saying those words that he uttered earlier, come to me. You see, that of all the passages from chapters 11, 12, and 13 haunt me the most. Because if I'm honest with you and I'm honest before the Lord, first and foremost, there is a part of me that gets a little nervous about something greater. That, that it likes the familiar. That likes the routine. And there's, there's a goodness to that. There's a goodness to liturgy, to, to services being ordered. Paul even speaks about that, about there not being this chaos. But do I believe there's, there's greatness that I have yet to perceive about Jesus? That his power is higher and wider and deeper than anything I will ever perceive. That his love is higher and wider and deeper than anything I will ever fully comprehend. That his ability to advance his kingdom in New Orleans and all nations is unstoppable. Do I, do I want to see his unstoppable grace poured out in New Orleans? Do I want to see tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people give their lives fully to Jesus? Do I want to see people groups where the name of Jesus is not even known become gospel-sending, missionary-sending places among the nations? Do I want to see something greater than, all right, 9.30, I need to be there by 9.30, go through this, where am I going to eat today? All right, do we have, is there anything? Am I supposed to be at something tonight? I hope not. I'd rather just be able to like, just have the evening. And that's all I know. And that's what I'm content with. That's Jesus. Is a worship service. Is not cussing, not doing really bad things. And that's Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this one greater than Solomon, this one greater than Jonah, this one greater than the temple, desires to show his greatness in us and through us. The question is, do we? Do we want his greatness to be on display in this church and in our lives individually? Or are we content to maintain, like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, a way of doing kingdom that wasn't really all about the king. It was more about us. So close, but so far. So close, but so far. Is that where you are? I feel like that's where I am. I feel like I'm so close to living a life full out for Jesus, giving him everything. And then there are moments I feel like I shrink back. And, I, and I'm, if this is the line of faith that I, you know, I'm like, oh man, what is that going to mean to step out fully in faith in Christ? I'm concerned that I become like the parable that we read earlier, like the seed that's planted among thorns because Jesus goes on to explain that, that it's the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth 
that choke out those weeds, that I, I look at my life and I say, am I giving in to that temptation for the worries of this life, thinking about children who are getting bigger and thinking about the cost and the deceitfulness of wealth and just all of these things to still live as though I had nothing. Or better, to live as though everything were Christ and not worry about the deceitfulness of wealth, but to give it all to Christ. You see, if I'm honest, there is part of me that is concerned that I will go through the next 25 to 30 years of my life living so close but so far from the life that God intends and gifts to every one of us. And I don't want that existence for a single person in this room. So I'm going to ask for Rick to come and to lead us in a time of worship. And I want, as they lead us in a time of singing and worship, just for you to do a fresh surrender. I think that that is just the, the, the quintessential act of worship is, God, I give you everything again. Today, Lord, if there's anything I'm holding back from you, bring it to mind so that I can surrender it again. Because when you said Jesus is Lord, you gave him everything. But we need these fresh moments of surrender. But you may be in this room today and you've never surrendered a specific area of, to, of, of your life to God. I want to encourage you to come and just to kneel at these steps. If there's an area that God brings to awareness today, to just come and almost like you were bringing it physically, to come and bring it and lay it down to God the Father, to give it to Christ, to trust His Spirit to come into worship and surrender. So I'm gonna invite for everyone to stand. We're going to sing together, but you worship in this moment with fresh surrender as the Lord leads.